0: Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, you'll hear from the authors that make Supply Chain Management Review such a special publication. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of Talking Supply Chain. Is sustainability sustainable? I'm Bob Trubelcock, and joining me today are Stan Fawcett and Mike Niemeyer. You've probably heard them in previous podcasts. They're amongst my favorite guests. Stan is a professor at the University of Applied Sciences, Upper Austria, and Mike is a professor of logistics at The Ohio State University, and they're frequent contributors to SCMR and co-authors, most recently, of Actionable Awareness, How to Avoid becoming supply chain roadkill. And I got to tell you, I got a lot of emails, really positive ones. I got a lot of emails about um, that article. So you know, congrats to both you guys. Stan, Mike, welcome.
1: Bob, looking forward to talking with you about this important topic. And it's great to hear that the uh, actual awareness is well-received.
2: It's great to be with you today, Bob.
0: Great. So if you're of a certain age, like I am, you probably saw the movie, The Graduate. And you might remember the most famous scene in that movie where an older businessman comes up to Dustin Hoffman and gives him a one-word piece of advice about the future, plastics. And if I was offering a one-word piece of advice to a recent college graduate, it might be sustainability or ESNG, which is actually three words, but we make an acronym. That might be controversial since sustainability can raise a lot of emotions But at the supply chain conferences I've attended in 2022, and the interviews I've done over the last year with senior supply chain leaders, sustainability and diversity and inclusion are top of mind and front and center. The question I have is whether the energy around these topics is real. In other words, is it sustainable? It's a hot topic today, but are we still going to be talking about it five years from now? I don't know. I thought Stan and Mike were perfect for this discussion, given an article I published by them a few years ago that likened sustainability to a luxury good. So let's jump right into today's discussion. Guys, first, let's go back a few years to that article. Tell the listeners what you were seeing in the profession when you did that piece and what you meant by sustainability as a luxury good.
2: Thank you, Bob. That's a great question. Let me get us started. Bob, when we wrote Sustainability as Strategy, we were writing from two perspectives, what we were hearing from companies and what we are observing with customers. I think one manager summarized the company's perspective beautifully. He said, sustainability is only sustainable if it's profitable. And that really was the standard sentiment we were hearing. And that really points to customer attitudes towards sustainability. Are they willing to pay for it?
1: Yeah, stance spotlight on the importance of customer attitudes cannot be understated. Um, you know, one big concern of mine is the role of social desirability bias around ESG and sustainability. Uh, for example, one of my colleagues in the marketing area here at Ohio State has shown that the likelihood of customers purchasing a more expensive sustainable product depends on whether or not someone is actually watching them make the purchase. The customer decision is significantly influenced by an extrinsic motivation. You know, so while I agree uh, that there's been some increased energy and focus around these topics, I'm still a little unsure is what's really at the heart of this uptick. Um, is it driven more by what others, you know, what others see in us, or is it something that we are internally motivated to to pursue? I think it's a critical issue to, to think about at this time. Overall, you know, and you think about over the last 30 years, sustainability has gone up, it's ebbed and flowed. Uh, with the tide of affluence. Um, in good times, when customers have more disposable income, they pay more attention to sustainability. When times are tough, uh, like during the Great Recession, like during the beginning of the pandemic, you know people start to really focus in on the necessities. Do I have food on the table? Can I pay my rent? Can I afford the gas uh, that I put in my car to drive? And can I pay for, for dinner at an expensive restaurant? You know, our work continues to show that during these tougher economic times, sustainability is viewed as a luxury many people just can't afford.
0: You know, what? Th- that's a really interesting point um, where I started noticing this increased energy actually was during COVID. I, you know, before COVID, uh, I remember uh, reading um, an uh, an interview with the new editor of Harvard Business Review, and he was asked, was there anything that surprised him? And he said they did a special issue on sustainability because it was a topic that they were hearing over and over from managers. And it was the worst performing issue of that particular year. Um, so it was like, you know, people wanted to talk about it, but they didn't want to re- read about it. So, I like I say, I started noticing this uptick during COVID. Um, at the same time, you know, you saw this other uptick during COVID. I have no idea if the two are correlated. Um, where, you know, everybody was ordering their groceries to be delivered uh, at home. Part of that was not wanting to go out of the house. But now that we're in tougher economic times, you know, grocers are finding that, you know, people don't want to pay for home delivery. Uh, they're coming back to the store where they can, you know, really shop around price. And I, and I wonder if sustainability, you know, things like um, organics versus uh, organics or green you know, cleaners versus non organic and less expensive is going to come into play. Again, I don't know. So let's bring this up to date. The two of you and your writing partners talk to a lot of business leaders. That's what I like about the articles that you do. What do you see happening today and why? As a for instance, is it coming up in senior leader conversation? It's coming up in senior leader conversations I have especially around diversifying the workplace. Are, are the two of you seeing the same thing?
1: Yeah, we, we, we continue to believe that sustainability is only sustainable if it's profitable. You know, managers will only pursue sustainability if there's a strong motivation. That said, um, here is where we're seeing some, some changes. You know, the topics of sustainability and ESG are increasingly on the corporate radar, but companies really differ in terms of the depth of focus on these topics. Some companies are really thinking about this at a more comprehensive and tangible level. Uh, they're you know, particularly interested in issues around measurement, but as they dig into measurement, they're realizing just how complex and difficult it is to develop meaningful metrics around big and complex issues such as sustainability. If you buy into the old adage that what gets measured gets improved, sustained success will depend on improving corporate approaches towards a measurement in this area. And we're strong believers of that. That's been one of the driving motivations for the articles our team has been working on recently. Uh, you know, we're really trying to develop some managerial tools in the areas of system design, visibility, and measurement to support these efforts. Let me also give you a quick take on the talent issues that relates to this topic. I've definitely noticed uh, a belief by companies and recruiters that sustainability and ESG matter. You know, when they're going out and recruiting and, and trying to retain their employees, particularly during these, this tough time with supply chain talent, You know, the employees are asking questions in these areas and really clearly expressing a desire to work for companies that are very authentic um, in terms of how they treat these topics. In this time of hyper social media where everything's under, you know, everything's posted, everything's about influence, you know, a decision by employees to to work for a company or to stay at a company is highly influenced by their social circles. You know, employees want to work for companies that they can be proud to work for that have views that are consistent with their own. Um, you know, so as companies continue to struggle to find supply chain talent, they really gotta keep an eye on these variables.
2: And Bob, you, you mentioned uh, the pandemic a little bit. We have really been going through unprecedented times the past three years. And it's looking, as you look forward, like uh, we're gonna see a little more disruption before we get out of this rocky time period. Uh, I think the labor shortage through and following the COVID lockdowns has made the quest for talent just a huge competitive driver. Uh, People are looking for the best and brightest, and they want them to come and stay. And as Mike said, most companies believe that Gen Z is motivated by sustainability and equity. That said, since people first started talking about remote work, Mike and I have been asking the question back and forth, Is this a true inflection point, or is it just the pendulum swinging? Uh, The labor shortage gave workers leverage, uh, but today's slowing economy seems to be shifting that leverage. The Bank of England just uh, put out a forecast. They expect a five-quarter recession starting in the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, I personally expect two to three years of tough economic times, Uh, A lot will depend on policies that we put into action. Uh, But think back, Gen Z hasn't seen, uh, nor have millennials They just haven't seen a time period where we've gone three years uh, with no pay raises, with increasing unemployment. Uh, If we see unemployment back above 5%, my bet is we will see a decrease in emphasis on diversity and inclusion coming from both sides. Companies will be clear-eyed and focused on hiring the best talent they can find, and employees will be clear-eyed and competing for scarce jobs.
0: Uh, let me throw out a question here that <clears throat> might be a little bit off the wall and then I'll get us back on script. but I was thinking back to uh, you know the title of the article. Um, sustainability is a, is a luxury good, and then thinking to the conversations that I'm having, as well as Gartner's Top 25. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that the companies on Gartner's Top 25 are also some of the largest you know, corporations, largest global corporations in the world. Just like a Tesla, you know, sustainable is a luxury good, and you know we pay extra for Patagonia and REI and things like that. Do you think that sustainability and ESG and um, diversity, equity, and inclusion are the equivalent of the corporate luxury good? Meaning, you know, the 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 global Goliaths can afford to do it. They can afford to invest in it. Where the small to mid-sized companies, sort of like your average Joe that drives a Honda, you know, ten-year-old Honda Accord, and can't afford the Tesla, is in that same boat with regard to sustainability and diversity and inclusion. You know, is it a luxury? A, a, a luxury initiative?
2: Well, Bob, I think uh, your notion: big companies, to the extent that they've got deep pockets, they're definitely better positioned uh, to compete. On sustainability um, but even they in a tough economy are going to struggle because uh, if you look at the largest companies in the world it used to be US companies and European companies today it's US companies and Chinese companies and we really compete from very different uh, positions and cost structures so the deep pockets help um, but in a tough economy I think even the wealthy have to pull back a little bit on their luxury spending.
1: Yeah, I might just add a little bit Yeah, I might just add a little bit. You know, I, I think that that sustainability is such a big term, right? And you know, supply chain managers know. You know, we've always been focused on being efficient, uh, not being wasteful, uh, doing more with less. You know, that's that's just at the heart of what we you know, the way we see ourselves. So, you know, I don't see those types of things changing and those things can be uh, seen it from a sustainability lens. Right. Uh, I think the challenge will be on those sustainability initiatives where uh, the return on that investment isn't as clear, uh, may take longer to, to realize, uh, maybe up against some other initiatives that, that can drive uh, top, uh, top-line growth, and and they lose out on that investment because uh, we don't have as much resources. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it depends on how you view sustainability, how you define it. Uh, I think there'll always be some focus on it, uh, but some big, challenging uh, initiatives might, might fall by the wayside in tough times.
0: Great. Stan, I wanted to direct this one specifically to you, uh, since you do a lot of work in Europe. Uh, so, you know, what's the state of sustainability in the broader ES&G umbrella in Europe? And I ask this because, you know, one of my working theories is that large global companies, they don't want multiple platforms. They want to operate one way in Europe, they'll operate that way in the U.S. So so what are you seeing in Europe? And one, do, do, you, do you agree with that um, in, in sort of an approach?
2: Well, I definitely agree with that uh, basic idea. Uh, We see all the time that uh, one of the rules of globalization and building a global network is uh, that you have to compete. What you offer is a value proposition in one area you have to offer in others because global consumers are looking for that. You need some standardization of platforms even as you customize to meet local needs. Uh, In Europe, uh, we are seeing a lot of frustration among sustainability advocates. Uh, the true believers. They argue that ESG and voluntary efforts aren't working. They're not getting the job done. They lament companies aren't going to do it on their own. And we see it a little bit at the national level right now as Germany is about to fire up some coal plants that had previously been shut down to avoid a very cold winter. Uh, The result Uh, They are calling for governments to intervene. They want sustainable practices to be mandated. That said, we've seen that governments can get too far out in front. We just mentioned uh, the shutting down of the nuclear plants and coal plants. You probably remember France just a couple of years ago, late 2018, early 2019. Emmanuel Macron proposed a gas tax and that triggered what is called the yellow jacket movement violent protests erupted they shut down paris week after week you remember seeing the news with cars on fire uh, and then last year as the wind stopped blowing across europe and energy prices doubled because renewables couldn't effectively replace fossil fuel and nuclear power consumers were ready again to take to the streets the frustration has only grown this past year as Russia invaded Ukraine and Europe found itself dependent on Russian national gas. Uh, So I I think stepping back, uh, our friends in Europe are worried that uh, if you get too far in front, if you don't make decisions from a system's perspective, then you may get unintended consequences. And in Europe, they're feeling or should I say suffering, the consequences of some of the decisions they've made. So the question is that, that I'm hearing is, uh, if things go south, will there be a backlash that sucks the wind out of the sustainability movement and sets it back years? And I think that's a question that that they're talking about in Europe and one we should have on our minds here in the States as well.
0: Why is this so critical to supply chain, or rather, you know, why is it falling to supply chain? Mike, why don't you start?
1: Yeah, sustainability and and ESG are topics that directly relate to the efficient and effective functioning of supply chains. There's no doubt about that. You know, whether it be the inputs required to keep supply chains running or the outputs of activities across the supply chain, you know, these topics are central to the the day-to-day work that we do. You know, given the responsibilities that fall on those that run supply chains and the cross-functional, cross-firm nature of our work, it's only natural that others look to our discipline for leadership in this area. Uh, You know, we may not always use that same terminology and our motivations for success may be a little bit different, but ultimately, you know, improvements in both sustainability and ESG can only help us meet our supply chain goals.
2: You know, Mike's comments are dead on nobody with... An organization has nobody within today's organizations has as much impact on sustainability as the supply chain. Uh, Supply chain is source, make, deliver, and return. This sequence is responsible for a huge percent of value creation, as well as being responsible for every company's sustainability footprint.
0: So there there are a number of things that we hear over and over from companies. What are you hearing most
2: commonly? You know, I think companies are seeing the writing on the wall. Uh, most managers we work with sense that regulators are going to impose sustainability requirements uh, on us as organizations before customers are truly ready. Uh, so that that's creating a, well, I think they feel that they're in a bind. Uh, they tell us that, you know, we know we got to go there. We know the regulators want us to go there, but we really don't know how to get there. Uh, and honestly, neither do the regulators. So my sense is that managers care deeply about the environment, but they find themselves juggling competing priorities. How can they thrive in a ridiculously competitive marketplace, manage the risks of global supply chains, and be sustainable at a cost competitive level all at the same time.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the executives I talked to comment about the difficulties in achieving meaningful uh, progress in this area. You know, many companies have picked the low hanging fruit we always talk about, and now they're really required to reach more deeply into the supply chain. You know, I, and I think they're realizing that they can't do this alone, and you know, that they need better insight you know, where can they make meaningful impacts in these areas of ESG and and sustainability? You know, related to this, I'm definitely hearing more comments about the importance of the C-suite clearly articulating their true commitment to these efforts. You know, is it really uh, part of what the, you know, the leaders of the company believe in and are gonna hold their employees accountable for? You know, um, really driving sustainability as as not just being electric good is is really tied to that uh, C-level perspective. From a supply chain talent perspective, companies you know, will be very well served investing time into understanding what, you know, what are the graduates of our programs looking for? You know, what do they really want? But what, at what point does the calculus change? You know, are we willing to pay to become a truly sustainable economy? You know, there's a big investment uh, just going through uh, Congress now right, uh, to, to push us in that direction. You know, will the future employees maintain their views on these topics, or will these will these things change over time? You know, one of the things you mentioned was the graduate, which I, I thought was an interesting uh, movie to 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 reference. And I, as you as you referenced it, I thought about uh, there's a movie called Say Anything, and I remember the the, the one of the actors, uh, John Cusack, was sitting around the table, and uh, the dad was asking him, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And he he mentioned, I want to be a, a kickboxer. That's the sport of the future. You know, I wonder how many uh, students are sitting around the table talking about sustainability, saying that's the future. And will it turn out to be kickboxing or will it turn out to be something, you know, a little more sustainable like you've been asking?
0: And John Cusack also famously had that thing where he says... I don't want to make anything. I don't want to sell anything. I don't want to sell anything that was made. I he goes lit me. That yeah, um, if you haven't seen that, go go watch that on YouTube. It, it is exactly right. Exactly, <laughs> it, it, it's a great scene. I'm glad you brought uh, as you know. I think all three of us are movie fans, given the number of things you guys have written about before. And as soon as you went to that one, um, that was the scene that I was playing over in my head. So thanks for bringing that up. All right. Last question. I'm going to go out on a limb here, just based on our planning call. Uh, I think the two of you may have slightly differing views on this. Is it sustainable? And regardless, how are the two of you advising the business leaders you talk to?
2: Well, Bob, I think you're uh, calling me out for my, what you might phrase as pessimism. Uh, I prefer to call it realism and I do want to point out I'm optimistic in at least one area. Uh, where am I coming from? Uh, I don't see a magic, uh, there, there is no magic bullet out there, no silver bullet uh, that, can, that can solve the problems companies are faced with right now. Uh, the competitive environment is tough. The regulatory environment is changing. Uh, we've got fierce global rivals uh, and they've got to live in that world which is full of trade-offs. And to date, customers in the affluent world have not shown that they're willing to sacrifice their living standards to go all in on sustainability, nor have the people in emerging markets given up their aspirations, their hope to emulate Western living standards. This means that r- real transformational tension exists uh, in the organizations uh, that I'm, I'm seeing and working with. Uh, we are all struggling, to work our way through this transformational tension. Uh, Now, the good point, the point where I'm optimistic, I'm not a big fan that government mandates are gonna work. I don't think they will solve our sustainability dilemmas. Uh, I do, however, believe uh, that there's a better chance than most people believe that we're gonna hit carbon neutrality well before 2050 I believe we're gonna get there through innovation. I think that if we inspire and uh, promote an innovative environment, we're gonna find solutions uh, to this problem, just like we found uh, solutions to global hunger uh, 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, I I really think that growth comes, you know, from facing challenges and, and, you know, dealing with tension head on like like Stan mentioned you know, so i'm 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 very hopeful that the current business environment is is going to provide an opportunity for companies to take stock of their supply chains you know what what do they really want them to look like moving forward well i'm confident that there'll be this increased focus on resilience long term i'm still unsure about sustainability and ESG you know will they be fundamental to what we do in supply chain uh, in the ways that they need to be You know, so, um, with the competing priorities that all companies face, it's going to be, um, you know, what rises to the top and what gets put in the back shelf, you know, that's the way typically businesses
2: run. And and Bob, you know, coming back to this, I, your, your initial introduction, I think this is a topic we are going to be recycling, uh, over and over again, um, because of the nature of the tension, the trade-offs that exist and, uh the fact that business cycles have not been conquered yet. That said, let's tackle your second point. What are we advising what are we telling companies? Uh, I focus a lot on building up the toolkit. Uh, If you're gonna manage these tough trade-offs that aren't gonna go away, if you're gonna find the right balance between thriving in the short term and being sustainable over time, Uh, you need a better toolkit and They need to really engage in true systems thinking Uh, they need more visibility and better costing Uh, Without these tools they and we will suffer from the law of unintended consequences And sadly we can identify a lot of examples of that right now Uh, We've already mentioned that Europe is uh, quaking as they anticipate a cold winter without rushing gas. Uh, Mike, I know you believe in the toolkit theory. What tools are you prescribing?
1: Yeah, you know, throughout my career, I've I've prescribed how important it is for those operating in the supply chain to really have very similar pictures to what is going on. You know, and, and to get these pictures to be similar and to be clear, it really requires trust. It requires enhanced communication across the entire supply chain. You know, and the foundation of building trust and and enhancing communication for companies is uh, having good data, having good information, and using that information to drive visibility about what is going on, not only within your sphere of influence, but, you know, those companies that are connected to you. So, for me, you know, ultimately, sustainability will require companies to buy into changing, and and that's going to require change management skills, so... You know, I'm excited that we're working on some articles for SEMR that are around these tools that we've been talking about, and we're really hopeful that we can help in these areas.
0: Well, thanks. You know, um, Stan, when you were talking at the end about getting through innovation, this reminded me of, you know, we all have friends and family members uh, where across the spectrum, you know, there's a lot of different political views. And I was having a conversation yesterday morning um with someone who was dead set against electric cars can't get rid you know can't have electric cars can't get rid of uh, cars with uh, internal combustion engines and fossil fuels and i said why i i, I don't understand I, I owned an electric car for three years back when you only got 80 miles from a charge <laughs> and it was like one of the most fun cars I've ever owned. Now in, in my lifestyle, then living in a small town, in New Hampshire, 80 miles was fine. Um, I don't drive very much. So, uh, you know, and we had another car, you know, that was internal combustion engine, but I was trying to get at with him. What, you know, what's really your objection to them? And his objection was, well, there's going to be a problem with the batteries. What are we going to do with these batteries? You know, they're going to cause all kinds of pollution. So we have to have fossil fuels and I started thinking, okay, so we're going to have coal-fired power plants because you don't want pollution from from, you know, batteries. But what just kept coming to my mind was that's really just a recycling problem. Someone will innovate away to recycle car batteries and you know, take out the the bad stuff and reuse the good stuff. Um, it, it if if that was the only objection, it did not seem to me much of an objection. Having owned an electric car, I can think of a lot of other objections, like where am I going to power them if I'm trying to drive from, you know, Chicago back to New Hampshire, so it doesn't take me nine days to do what ought to take you know two days. So I can, I can think of a lot of objections, but many of the objections I hear to sustainability, I just think we can innovate our way through them. So I'm, I'm in complete agreement that, you know, government mandate isn't going to do it, but innovation uh, potentially will. Uh, that's all the time we have today. I really want to thank Stan and Mike for joining me. Uh, I always enjoy their conversations, and I really enjoyed this one hearing uh, from both of them. Uh, and thank you for listening. Be sure to read Sustainability as Strategy Caught in the Luxury Trap on scmr.com, and also look for their most recent article, the one we discussed, Actionable Awareness. I hope you'll be back for our next episode. For Supply Chain Management Review, I'm Bob Treblecock. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, on iTunes, or under SC247 or just Google SC 24 seven podcasts. For more information, be sure to visit scmr.com. We hope you'll join us again.